Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Witeka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Well, hello, everybody. And you know how in life there's these technical glitches? I just have to tell you my heart's pounding a little quickly because I had a problem getting my guests on the line. But she's here now, and I'm so excited. I'm so happy, Stephanie, that you're here. My guest today is Stephanie Popescu, and she, along with her husband, Vlad, are the co-founders of Grassroots Neighbors. Welcome to the show, my friend. Uh, Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm sorry for all the technical issues. That was a little bit of an adrenaline rush. (laughs) Wasn't it? But you know something? Right in front of me, as we are speaking, Stephanie, right in front of me, there are these three words. There's a lot of three-word things in front of me, but this one particularly says, trust the process. And we made it work. High five for us. Yahoo. This is just yeah, awesome. Right. It, it is great because your story is so important. And I when I was on Facebook earlier today and I realized how many friends that you and I share in common, I was like, Whoa, we know a lot of the same people. And you know, conversations plus connections equals community followed by what's your story is is the foundation of what I do. And so I'm so glad that you were able to get in and now we can move forward. We can do this, my friend. So let's <laughs> we can we can do this. We right, we've tackled bigger issues than this in our lives. So, with that in mind, why don't you start off by telling our listeners just a little bit about your background and yourself. What tell us about yourself, Stephanie? <laughs> Sure. Um, So I am a social worker by profession. Um, I finished my graduate degree at Long Beach. Um, I live here in Los Angeles in Playa del Rey, Westchester neighborhood with my husband, Vlad, uh, who you mentioned before, and our four-year-old son. Um, And I spent a lot of my early career actually working in medical social work, working in nursing homes and in hospitals. Um, But while doing that work, also spending a lot of time interacting with people who were engaging with the medical system who have a history of homelessness. Uh, So I, I transitioned over to working in homeless outreach. I was a um, I was contracted uh, under a, another company to work with veterans with the VA. Um, oh, no so kidding. I worked okay. with homeless, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So I worked with homeless veterans um, for a long time. And then uh, when Grassroots Neighbors, uh, which we'll, we'll get into, uh, kind of was happening all parallel to this, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we were doing the work with Grassroots Neighbors kind of at the same time on the weekends initially. 
Um, and now I'm full-time focusing my attention and energy on grassroots neighbors and my son. Um, and that's, that's where we are now. Yeah. Well, I, you know, and that pretty much fills your 24-hour day, doesn't it? <laughs> pretty oh much. Oh, my goodness. Pretty much. It does. It, it really does. And I think what you are doing, I, I think it's a calling. You have some experience in this. And so maybe you could just give us the background. So how how did Grassroots Neighbors start? Mm-hmm. Sure. So if you can think back to the time that we call the Great Recession, <laughs> uh-huh. um, and you think back to the, the economic upheaval that we face as a country, um, that foreclosure crisis that really – gave way to several different um, activist movements uh, that was really a a lot of folks that felt disenfranchised. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, And as there was a particular group of activists here in Los Angeles as that I was a part of, my husband was a part of, and as we talked about how the, that economic fallout was impacting specifically our neighbors, the people we saw around us. We also were seeing an increase in homelessness. And um, the wheels of change turn very slowly. And so if you're somebody who wants to talk about politics and policy and, and advocacy at that level, that is a very long game. And while we were thinking about that long game, we were looking at people in our community who were digging through trash to find something mm-hmm. to eat. Yeah. And so it became a very pressing realization of, oh, my gosh, there's immediate need. There's a gap in services right here, right now that we need to be filling. Um, and so that's what really started what is now known as the Feed the People program. Um, people, this was back in 2013. So we are 10 years now of, of Congratulations. This, of providing, thank you, um, mm. of providing hot meals on a weekly basis, uh, cooking in different locations over the years. Some years we were in some uh, friend's home. A few years we were in my home every week. Now we're currently cooking out of uh, a church here in Westchester. But what we do is we come together with our community, we prepare a hot meal, we bring it to our unhoused neighbors, and we, we serve them a meal, but it's also about connecting with people, and it's about connecting over food. Food is such a universal love language and is such a um, fundamental and brilliant way to connect with people from different walks of life. Um, and what we have found through making those connections and over time doing the long, hard work of building relationships, that really something transformational can happen there um, and that we can really – facilitate helping people get the help that they need in in a very unique way by taking the time to develop these relationships. And then what happened in um, 2019, we officially incorporated as grassroots neighbors. Uh, and then in 2020, the pandemic hit. And right. there was so much devastation. <sighs> I can't even begin to, to describe it. Um, but in that devastation and in the, in the hurt that, that our community was feeling, um, one of our, our major supporters, Legato, a developer here in the neighborhood, they had empty space. They, have, they had en- empty commercial space, and they asked the question, we have this space. Is that useful to you? And we said, yes. Like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> yes. 
absolutely this this space is useful to us um and that's our food pantry and and now with the use of that space and because so many people came forward and just said how can i help i, I mean i think it was obvious to anybody with their eyes open in 2020 when when the, those scary first months of the pandemic and so many people mm -hmm. were losing income um so many people also came forward and said how can i help and we saw the launch of our grocery program and the rapid exponential growth of our grocery program. So what our grocery program does, this is separate from the, the bringing food to, to our unhoused neighbors and the outreach to our unhoused neighbors. Our grocery mm -hmm. program um, delivers regular food to people uh, who are housed but are struggling. Um, so it's a grocery <laughs> delivery. It's like a food bank. You know, yeah. it's very interesting. Um, I'm looking at your website, and I recommend that people visit grassrootsneighbors.org. And I'm looking at some of these pictures, and I went, wait a minute. I know what church you're in. You're at Holy Nativity, aren't you? <laughs> Is that where you're yeah. doing your cookie back, cooking in there? I'm very Absolutely. familiar with that. And That's, their congregation I'm, has been so generous to, to include uh, us as part of the service that they provide, yes. It is so, Absolutely. you know, while that isn't going to mean something necessarily to somebody in Idaho, I would just say to you as I'm looking at this, I'm going, oh, my gosh, I've been there. I've been there with Patricia Rose when she was cooking. I, I, I'm, I live in this community. And I always have lived in this community. That elementary school on the other side of your church is where my kids went to school. So I am very much a partner in this community. And I think what you're doing is so remarkable. And I guess, it, did, you, did you mention this? Because I don't know that you mentioned this. What was your inspiration for really getting this started? So, you know, when we first started, uh, our inspiration was just people need to eat right now. Right. <laughs> uh, right. And, you know, what, when it first started, and I'm, I'm a little bit ashamed to say this, but when it first started, some of the, the, the fellow members in the group were like, oh, my gosh, this was amazing. We should do this once a week. And I was the naysayer in the room saying, oh, my gosh, once a week, you want to cook food and bring it to people on a weekly basis? Do you understand what a big commitment that is and the <laughs> volunteers and the money and where, how are we going to do this and da, 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 the logistical nightmare of it? And um, boy, boy, was did they all show me. Um, <laughs> and, and, that's, and that's something that's been such a great learning curve for me is I, I think sure. uh, uh, I've been taught again and again to never underestimate people's generosity and willingness mm -hmm. to go the extra mile to help a neighbor in need. Um, but really, one of the things that I think drives what we do, in addition to just filling this immediate need, when you, when you see somebody hungry and you need, you need to get food on the table or, or food in their belly, um, what really drives us is the importance of community. And I think we've learned and, and, you know, there's actually research that shows this. When, when people experience loneliness and isolation, that has a huge impact on their ability to cope with stress, on mm -hmm. their physical well-being outcomes. And, and there's, there's a whole body of research in this. In fact, the, the United Kingdom now has a, a whole government department dedicated to dealing with uh, loneliness as, a, as an epidemic. Um, and, and 
that's no different for people experiencing poverty in our community, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it isn't. Especially for people experiencing homelessness, in a lot of ways they are shut out from the very types of uh, activities and community that a lot of us take for granted. And so by bringing a meal to them and sharing that with them, by looking someone in the eye and saying, how are you doing today, and having that positive relationship, that is actually, I think, where we see it's the hardest work, it's the slowest Mm -hmm. work, but that's actually where we see a lot of value. And and I think that, that that's something that sets us aside a little bit is that our volunteers really have enjoyed being able to develop those types of relationships with our recipients, both housed and unhoused. I like that. And you mentioned that you do, I'm I'm looking at your website, that you do some cooking. Um, but mm-hmm. what, some, what, tell us about some of the other programs that, that you offer um, to the people that are lucky enough to receive the benefits of what you do. Yeah, so right now um, we have our, our grocery program, which is serving about 60 families. Um, and so those 60 households that are local to our area here are receiving, unlike a traditional food bank where you have to go line up every, you know, every week or, or, or every couple of weeks, um, we deliver to them. We bring them a grocery delivery that is customized to their household size, whether or not there's any children in the household, how old the children are, um, to dietary restrictions. Um, We really want to be respectful and and cognizant that the food that we're providing is actually food that is useful to them. Um, So it's not a one-size-fits-all thing, right? So uh, when we – we make those deliveries once every two weeks. So we have our, our 60 households spread out over a two-week rotation. Um, so that way we have deliveries going out um, on, a, on a daily basis. Uh, mm-hmm. We then, through having this relationship with these families, we have done a variety of things in order to support them. So connecting them with um, – uh, tenants' rights information in order to avoid evictions, with resources to help them pay their utilities. We do something akin to like a case management I see. Um, type, of, type of interaction because as you have these conversations with people, you know, things come up. Oh, you know, the kids need this or, oh, this is going on or my health isn't too good or I need a referral for that. You know, there, there's a lot of different things that come up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so then with our unhoused folks, uh, kind of something similar on a case-by-case basis as we're doing our outreach and we have these conversations with them about, oh, I could really use this or I need help finding, getting a hold of my, my social worker or I need help accessing this type of resource or that type of resource. Um, we really try to leverage our network as a community um, to pull resources together to support our neighbors um, with what they might need and be right. as customized as possible. Otherwise, it doesn't work, right? People are not one size fits all. So, so you really have to be attentive to what, what their situation is. I think what makes us somewhat unique based on where you and I live is that um, because of the weather, mm-hmm. we um, 
people that are unhoused, as you just mentioned, can be a little bit more comfortable, and I'm, I'm using that word very, very loosely. I'm only using it as a comparison to somebody that's living in a place where there's snow on the ground and it's freezing outside. Um, we think we're cold at 50. Imagine what it must be like to be cold at 30. So, um, you know, I think that, that we have a bit of a, a people tend to gravitate a little bit towards us because our weather does um, permit to be able to live perhaps in a way that we wouldn't want to live, but that they, they have no options. And I think about this all the time because, like I said, we, we do live in the same community. We know some of the same people. I know you have connections to a lot of organizations. YMCA is one of them. Um, mm-hmm. But coming from a background of activism, how does that impact how Grassroots Neighbor actually operates? Sure. So I actually want to go back to something that that you said because I know it's interesting that um, the data doesn't necessarily – I think we sometimes have this idea that, oh, it's the beach and it's Los Angeles and people come to us. Um, What we are learning from um, efforts like the Homeless Count and from other research-driven efforts, the data is showing us that increasingly – what, what is happening is the people who become homeless tend to stay in the areas where they used to live prior to becoming homeless. Interesting. Um, the, other thing, the other thing is Los Angeles actually has a higher death rate for unhoused people being exposed to the elements than places like, say, New York, um, where there's snow on the ground in the winter. Um, wow. Because in, in, in wet conditions, um, 50 degrees is actually cold enough uh, mm-hmm. in, in what conditions to see, like, hypothermia actually start to set in, especially if there's pre-existing medical conditions. Um, and Los Angeles just quite simply does not do as good of a job as other areas bringing our people indoors during adverse weather. Um, that's not for a lack of trying, um, but when there's an inventory taken of available shelter beds, and how many people we have that are actually on the streets. If every single unhoused person in L.A. said, yes, please, sign me up, get me indoors, mm-hmm. those shelter beds would fill up, and there would still be tens of thousands of people left on the streets. Right, um, right. And so what we're, what we're looking at is, is, a, is a real humanitarian crisis in that even if everybody said yes to going to emergency shelter, there's quite simply not enough space to put them, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. at least right now. We just don't have the shelter beds or the emergency um, housing resources available. Now, yes. to your question about being an activist, um, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things that that we kind of have come with, that I come with, that my husband comes with, that the grassroots neighbors comes with, is kind of this background information about in this context, right, of how politics and policy has a very real personal impact on people's lives, and particularly where the social safety net is concerned. Um, and so I think we don't necessarily shy away from, I think, having those hard discussions about what is happening um, 
on the political stage that actually could have very real consequences to the most vulnerable people in our community. Um, mm -hmm. And and I think that that that's something that informs our decisions in terms of um, how we advocate for people. But you know, the other thing is is when we have these conversations, we're also having these conversations with the people who are impacted, and we really try in everything we do to build community and empower people, um, and and really try to have some going on. Um, but like what what is actually happening that we have tens of thousands of people on the street tonight right um mm -hmm. and and that informs that informs uh, a lot about what we do in in how we work with our especially our unhoused neighbors but even our our housed folks um mm -hmm. who are also they're on the brink right they're yeah. on, they're, they're they're hanging on by a thread and we want to really um you know prevent homelessness from the from the get go which is uh, something that's important to us. So let me ask you, I mean, I've had a little bit of mm -hmm. experience um, in working with a nonprofit that was working with the homeless um, situation here called Share Hope USA. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was a wonderful program. Um, they've relocated to Portland now. But I'm just curious, how does providing food, how does providing food prevent homelessness does does that does that work it does it does yeah so the families that we're serving um with our grocery program are unfortunately in a position of having to decide if they pay for rent or food yeah um, a lot of, you know okay so your listeners in Los Angeles can probably relate to this. This winter, we saw our utility bills double, almost triple. You're right. <laughs> uh, you know, you go to the store, the cost of eggs is so high that we laugh about it so we don't cry. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's become a joke almost about how, how mm -hmm. eggs are, are so hard to, to get these days, right? Mm -hmm. um, and we are actually in in a in a position where our, our cost of living is just not at all proportionate to um, to what people's income is, especially those folks who are on fixed income. Um, and so by providing food, we are actually able to offset, for a family of four, we're offsetting about four to $500 a month in expenses um, on average. Uh, and so that is real money that can go to those other expenses. That is real money that actually can prevent homelessness when you, mm. when you say, look, you know, we're going to make sure that you have something to eat. We're going to make sure that your kids have something to eat. Um, the folks that have babies, we provide diapers, we provide wipes. Um, you know, we make sure that the the groceries we provide are as well-rounded as possible so that we're offsetting costs and families are a little bit better able to make decisions about how to direct their resources. Um, one thing that's really concerning right now is uh, there was a pandemic-era bump in SNAP benefits, food stamp benefits um, across hmm. the country. I and didn't know that. And we're, well, we're, well, we're, what's happening now is we're looking at that that bump is probably going to expire um, short of any kind of 
political intervention. Um, and so uh, there, there was actually a story on the, on the news on um, CBS a couple of days ago calling it a hunger cliff, that, that potentially, you know, food banks are going to see another rise in people asking for help, that families are going to start struggling because the cuts are going to be coming um, to uh, food, uh, food stamp benefits. Um, and so it's really important if we want to keep people housed, if we want to keep people stable, that we help offset some of those costs. No kidding. You mentioned that you have 60 families. Do mm-hmm. those 60 families, do, is there a, I presume there's a process of being accepted into the program? Is, is, is that how that works? Um, we, we have 60 families. We also currently have a wait list. We okay. do not, um, we do not means test. Um, and what that means is we don't ask for people to qualify based on being poor enough. I see. Um, we, what I tell people is, you know what, um, asking for help with food is a big enough blow to your dignity. Uh, we don't make people jump through a bunch of bureaucratic hoops. Um, we are funded um, mostly by generous individuals. So mm-hmm. we don't have to ask questions or discriminate based on things like immigration status um, or whether or not you have a job. Um, mm-hmm. What we do ask our families to commit to, though, is keeping the line of communication open with us. We want to make sure that the assistance that we're providing is useful to them, and we want to make sure that um, – you know, that, that there's a two-way ongoing communication. A lot of times what happens, you know, is somebody will say something to me like, oh, I got a new job, and, you know, it, it increases my income a little bit, but not by a lot, and I still have all this debt that I need to pay. Do I not qualify for the program anymore? And what I tell them is give it another month or two. Pay off oh, some nice. of that debt. See where, yeah. Let's see what you still need. Um, we're not gonna we're not gonna just cut the cord and that's it and you're gone. <laughs> um, and and you know if you decide like if you decide hey I I, I discontinued services for a couple of months because I thought I didn't need it anymore but it turns out I actually really still need this help because everything's a lot more expensive than I anticipated. I've had that happen too. And we say okay great let's have a conversation about how we can help you. Um, because we are a community and we build relationships. And so we're able to have these very um, honest conversations with our families about what kind of support do they need? Because at the end of the day, we just want to see them doing well. Um, I also have a a lot of fixed income folks. Their income is their income. I don't see them coming off of our program. In the, mm-hmm. You know, uh, in, right. in the near future necessarily because either because they're on disability or they are seniors um, and it, it that is the situation of what it is, um, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, it's really, so, it's, yeah. it's really something um, what you're doing because you can't really go anywhere and not unfortunately seeing someone pushing a cart that you can't even imagine how it can not 
topple over in the middle of the street. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember when I worked with Share Hope, this was a few years ago, one of the things that they always talked about was have socks and water in your car so that if somebody Mm -hmm. does come up with a sign and you don't feel, you know, like you want to give them a $20 bill or whatever, hand them some socks. It's cold. You know, I, 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 I've always remembered that. Give them a bottle of water. They need to be hydrated. And you can see that. You can see that wherever you go. And what I'm wondering is what makes you guys at Grassroots Neighbors, which I absolutely love the name of your organization. I don't know who was brilliant enough to come up with that name, but my gosh, does that ever <laughs> – I mean, that's fabulous. You you can take credit if it was you, but I'm just saying, that's a fabulous description. Much like my friend Share Hope USA, that's what, that was a fabulous description as well. But what I'd like to know is, what makes you different from traditional service providers? How are you guys different in that way? Mm-hmm. So what makes us a little bit different, because we're small, um, and because our funding is primarily coming uh, from individuals, um, we are not so beholden to some of the the bureaucracy that larger service providers are beholden to. Mm-hmm. So I'll give you an example. Um, there was a, a couple living in a tent here at Westchester Park, um, yep. and we did uh, a, a For those who live local to the area, grassroots neighbors did a lot of outreach work uh, as part of the Encampment to Homes program at Westchester Park. So one of the couples that was there, um, they were recently, uh, two two men, uh, recently arrived from from Honduras and seeking, uh, they had refugee status, um, but they weren't able to make enough to get into housing. What they had found was a room that they could sublet, so a bedroom in an apartment that they could sublet, um, and they could afford that with their income. Um, But they didn't have enough money for the first month's rent. Uh, So one of the larger service providers that we were working with, um, there were a couple of barriers here. First, the immigration status. presented an an issue, but then also um, the issue that it was a sublease and that they would not be the primary leaseholders creating an issue to being able to get that that first month deposit. Um, And it was an issue of $800 is what we needed to get them indoors. That was the difference between being on a tent and a sidewalk and being indoors was $800. And So grassroots neighbors, you know, um, $800, it's not nothing, but that is not the amount of money that should be preventing somebody from being inside. That is is a doable amount. And so we said, that's a doable amount. Let's leverage our community resources. What have we got? Everyone pulled together, and we got them moved into their apartments that night. Oh. and, And so this was, you know, like, we're able to do a lot of creative problem solving, a lot of collaboration. Um, and I think that there's a lot of room to say, like, sometimes 
the common sense solution is right in front of your face. And then mm-hmm. larger organizations, unfortunately, because there's so much attached to funding or to just being part of a larger organization, um, we're able to come in and, and say, well, let's just, there's an abundance in this community. There's community resources. What do you need? Let's reach out to our network. Let's figure it out. Um, and that's produced some amazing results <laughs> for mm-hmm. us uh, from, getting, from getting people housed to um, being able to pull together a bunch of uh, supplies when a new baby is born to, um, you know, like we're just, it, it, it's a little bit different when you function we're truly grassroots right and we're, we're a little bit more able to leverage the community the resources that exist in the community I, I, that I makes say. sense um, yes that that yeah. makes sense what you're saying you're not jumping through bureau, bureaucratic hoops but i'm curious mm-hmm. how does your homeless outreach program work with other service providers i mentioned the ymca I suspect that you'll be mentioning them as well. How, how do you how do you how do you leverage that with the other service providers? So I'm very excited that actually we this uh, last week we've begun uh, a new partnership with the YMCA that's going to help us distribute more food um, to the community. Hopefully, we'll see some expansion in how many families we're able to serve. So that's a wonderful Mm -hmm. partnership that I'm really excited about. Um, With the larger service providers, I kind of see it as like uh, a little bit of a collaboration, right? These larger service providers that have more funding and more resources, and they, frankly, they have the housing, right? Grab Mm -hmm. these neighbors that were not a housing provider. Um, So, we need them. They they are a nece- they are necessary, right? We need them, and we need to work with them. But a lot of times, what happens is your typical outreach worker has a huge caseload, and mm-hmm. people can fall through the cracks, or people can be hard for outreach workers to find um, if they're moving around. Right. Um, so it's sometimes it's a little bit hard to see somebody through the process from contact with an outreach person, follow up with that outreach person, sustained follow up with that outreach person over the several months because on average an unhoused person takes multiple months to get into housing from that con- that first contact. Um, and then eventually moving them through the housing process, um, things like needing ID, needing proof of income, needing all kinds of documents. This is, this is a long process to, to get, move somebody into housing. Um, and so what we come in with and what we offer, um, we have relationships with people, like I, I, I've mentioned before, that makes it a little bit easier for us to address going on that might be a barrier to housing. For instance, um, somebody is never at their their tent when the outreach worker is looking for them because they're they go every afternoon to another location because that's where they can maybe earn a little bit of money or try mm-hmm. to you know find something to eat or that's where the showers are or that you know people. 
people don't necessarily stay in one spot, right? Um, and so when we have these relationships with people, I'll give you an example. There was a young man that uh, his social worker was having a hard time keeping tabs on him. And so I found him because <laughs> mm. uh, I, I, I knew where he would be at a certain time. So I went and got him. And we FaceTimed with his social worker and we made things happen like, with my phone, right? We sat there with my phone, FaceTimed right. with the social worker, made things happen. And he was able to get his housing voucher to go into housing. He, he got his wow. apartment. Um, wow. But that was such a long process. I want to just emphasize the process of getting a housing voucher and then finding the housing to actually utilize that voucher. Um, that's a long process. And so having that sustained relationship with this, with this young man where I knew where he would be on a weekday at 2 o'clock <laughs> uh-huh. um, made that possible, right? Um, so when the social worker was like, well, he, he, I, I can never find him or I don't know, I'd be like, well, I know where to go because, you know, we've, we've had these conversations before and I know sure. what, what's going on, right? Um, so it's a, it's a lot of collaboration, I think, with the, with the larger <clears throat> providers. I remember yeah. this, I think it was during the summer um, when the Y was in a, had a shower program where um, the unhoused could come in and use the showers and they could also mm-hmm. charge their cell phones, which might sound yeah. like really an extravagance to have a cell phone, but I mean, no, sometimes it's, it's huge. And uh, I, I really... I commend the wife for for being able to do that, you know. And and we do have we do collect groceries there. There is a food pantry. There are things mm-hmm. that people can do to to get to get food. But frankly, if you don't have a vehicle and you and you have inconsistent living, just doing that alone can certainly can certainly be a problem, I would think. And I I just mm-hmm. think um, I'm not sure if there's a solution for this or how we can solve this, but, you know, it certainly is a driving force in your spirit, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you're right that, um, well, well, for one, the cell phones, a lot of uh, folks who are receiving any kind of food stamp or other type of government assistance, they can um, qualify to get a free or low-cost cell phone. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't have all the bells and whistles of the latest iPhone, but it is a phone. It can make calls. Um, and being able to have a charged phone is such a huge issue. Yeah. Um, being able to, you know, when people are, are enrolled with um, LASA or another service provider, their name and their phone number goes into a big database and on a big waiting list and they wait months mm-hmm. and months. And when their name comes up, you know, workers, outreach folks will try to call the cell phone number to say, Hey, your name came up. You're, you're, you know, you won the lottery, you get an apartment or you get a, you get a voucher to try to get an apartment. But if your phone is not charged up <laughs> or not working or, mm-hmm. you know, or has been stolen, uh, a, a lot of times people don't find out and and yes. so if they if they even if their names even come up to get that housing voucher um so it's, a, it's actually it's a huge issue for 
outreach workers to be able to keep tabs on how to contact uh, seeking help. And when you offer services in a, in a designated area, like what the YMCA was doing with showers or, um, you know, similar type services that allow people to be in a designated area on this day at this time, that makes it possible for service providers to more reliably find people and mm -hmm. work with people to get them into housing. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I'm trying to imagine you have a four-year-old, you're married. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to imagine what your day-to-day -day operation looks like. It's, it's, I'm visualizing that you're always connected. And I don't know if you just like, oh, gosh, you know, it's 1030 at night. I, I really I need to get some sleep so I can function in the morning. I'm just wondering what it must be like to be you, Stephanie, truly. What is that operation like for you day to day? Well, um, you know, I'm very, very fortunate to have a partner in my husband who is um, not just my partner in life, but also he's the co-founder of Grassroots Neighbors. So, you know, he, he shoulders he some gets of that it. burden. As, sure. Well, and as, he, he, you know, as well as being a wonderful father and co-parent. Um, so there's, there's definitely a lot of shared, shared tasks. Um, but, you know, I, one of the things that I love about grassroots neighbors and the community that we have here um, is bring the kids. Mm -hmm. It's a part of the community too. So my son mm -hmm. goes with me. He goes to mommy's work. Um, he will go with me to do grocery deliveries and he will help pack groceries and as much as a four-year-old can, right? Sure. Um, but, but this is something that is very much built into the culture of my family. Um, and so it's something that for both my husband and I, it's become very second nature um, to kind of be thinking in, in this way about taking care of others. Um, but what I have been very fortunate to see is also, though, other mothers who are also raising their children in a similar way come alongside mm -hmm. me in this journey. Other mm -hmm. people from other walks of life come along in this journey. Um, and so, you know, we had our, our a community celebration last year uh, where we invited recipients and volunteers and donors and everybody who's involved in our community to come together and celebrate um, and as we had the event going on, there was a bunch of kids running around everywhere. <laughs> oh, fun. Um, and it was very joyful and it was very beautiful. And, and that is, that is something that I love so dearly about having, um, having grassroots neighbors has is, is become a huge blessing to me because, um, you know, we're coming together to say, look, our, there's immediate need within our community. Our community has the resources to address that immediate need. Um, mm -hmm. So let's just figure out. It's not. It's not a lack of abundance. There's abundance in uh, here. There's abundance. It's a distribution problem. So how do mm -hmm. we, you know, share that abundance with the people who need it, right? Right. Um, right. And and it's it, it's a it's a joyful, wonderful place. I I love I love all of our all of our community members and how everyone kind of comes together 
Mm-hmm. So, um, well, every yeah. organization like you just mentioned needs a leader, and um, and and um, a purpose, and the foundation of what you're doing. And I'm just wondering, what lessons have you have you personally learned from from running this organization these past few years? Um. I mentioned abundance. Don't ever. I, I've learned to not ever, ever underestimate um, people's willingness to come together. I, I really think there's something there where we really hunger for connection, and we also mm-hmm. hunger for being a part of a solution. You know, when we look at the, the problem of something like homelessness, and especially here in L.A. where it's just so obvious wherever you go, you see this mm-hmm. extreme suffering on almost every block, right? And it's a painful to witness that. It's painful to see that. And so when you give somebody a way to be a part of a solution, um, they, they, people, people get excited about that. There's a lot of energy there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, and then just for me personally, uh, it, it, it's become more about just being willing to ask the question, you know, um, being willing to say it's going to cost X many dollars to do this thing. Can we raise it? And uh, to my constant surprise, people will say, yeah, well, let's try. <laughs> sure. Um, you know, I that, that first grocery delivery we did after Legato donated that space, it was just me going to the grocery store with my credit card. I didn't know what we were mm-hmm. doing. I was like, I, I know there's this woman that she lost her job. She needs some food, so we're going to do this. We don't quite know how this is going to work or what this is going to look like. And here we are three years later with, you know, ostensibly a well-oiled machine, and we've certainly had growing pains, but that's okay. <laughs> it must just, you know, you know I, I think about what it must be like for you at night when you finally do close your eyes and you just kind of take that deep yoga breath and you go wow look at look what we did today look at let's review what we were successful with and let's not forget what we want to do moving forward and so i guess what i'm wondering you must have some success stories i would i would love to hear a story or two that has there's one on your i think there's one on your um um page right You know, to be completely honest, I don't remember which one is on our page. We have we have a number of um, success stories. Yes, uh, but, go but, ahead and share. Uh, sure, I'll share. We have a, a one of my my favorite stories is while we were doing outreach, we met a family living in a vehicle here in Playa del Rey. Um, mom, dad, five year old girl, and mom was pregnant at the time that we met them. Um, and come to find out, she was actually uh, just months away from finishing her doctorate degree at USC. No. Um, dad, dad was working a couple couple jobs nearby, trying to keep the family afloat, while mom was finishing her doctorate and was very pregnant. Um, we managed to uh, get them some referrals and get them uh, they were actually still living in the vehicle when she gave birth. Um, mm. 
but but shortly thereafter they were able to move into a motel and then eventually they actually did get into uh, permanent housing uh, local to our to to us right here um, and so you know the <laughs> There's such an example. The, their story is such an example. If you know any one of us is could become homeless, right? Any one of us is a lost job, a, a horrible illness, or you know, a, a, a divorce, or any any number of bad circumstances um, from from homelessness. It mm-hmm. really could happen to any of us. So so. And, and here's this brilliant woman who's finishing her doctorate while homeless and pregnant. <laughs> and it wow. just amazes me. She's an amazing person. Um, and so, you know, like we, we developed this relationship with them and now they're stable, they're housed. Um, they're still not fully on their feet in, in the sense that we're still bringing groceries to them once every two weeks. They're in our grocery program now. Um, it was so much fun to be able to shower all the baby love on, on their little one, uh, bring them yeah. all the baby supplies and the diapers and, the, you know, um, all the things, um, and, and welcome this little one to our community, right? Um, and so that's one of our success stories. Um, another one that we had, there was a, a single mom that, um, she was actually very successful in her professional career, and because of an accident that happened, suffered traumatic brain injury um, oh boy. and was no longer able to work. And she came to us. She had been, her son was bringing home school lunches, um, and that's what she and her son were sharing mm. um, because she was trying to keep the roof over their head. Um, so we brought groceries to them for a while um, while she worked on, it took her some time with workers' comp and disability. There were some legal legal hang-ups um, that she had to deal with, but she finally was able to qualify for the assistance that she deserved. Um, and once she got that income coming in again, she no longer needed um, grocery assistance from us, and she's one of our rock star volunteers that comes in. Oh, wow. Um, and her and her son are, are absolutely part of our community. Um, and so, you know, uh, we have we have stories like that, too. <laughs> um, right. The story I was going to tell. I was the story I was referring to is on your website website um and it's Thomas the Handyman. There's a very oh, yeah. interesting article about him that that people might want to just take a moment to read cuz we do have some really interesting like like the guy the guy that picks up all of the grass trimmings and and whatever else trash and whatever he picks up along Manchester oh, Boulevard, God. right? Yeah. Todd, mm-hmm. right, Todd. Mm-hmm. My gosh, I mean, we we do have some remarkable neighbors, but I'm curious to know this. Um, have you have you do you feel like you've made some mistakes along the way? Are there things that you might have might want to do differently? Sure. So, I think moving forward, um, I want to make the commitment to myself to maybe not be so easily 
uh, pulled into conversations or debates about whether or not homeless people can be in this location or that location. I mm-hmm. I think the debate about whether or not unhoused people can exist, when, when we have that debate, we quickly realize, well, you know, actually people just, if you can't be by a school and you can't be by a library and you can't be by, you know, businesses and you don't want to be by residences and you don't want to be by this and you don't want to be by that and all of a sudden, well, where can you go? Uh, That list runs out of possible locations very quickly. And that debate about where in public spaces people experiencing homelessness can exist really doesn't actually help anyone. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And and moving forward, I don't really want to get caught up in that in that discussion as much because what I really want to the conversation that I think we need to be having as a community is resources do we need to be providing to get these people housed and what is what are the barriers here right so and I'll give you an example it's a it's a very hot debate right now in Los Angeles about people who live in RVs and oversized vehicles oh yeah we know we both know where that is Right. Well, and and it's in several locations throughout the area, and uh, mm-hmm. the, the and we can debate about where can you park them, and 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 we can go through a whole list of all don't go here, don't go there, and and you know run out of places where people can go. But but the but the real conversation that we should be having is when people are offered emergency or transitional housing people who have an, an oversized vehicle, when they're offered that, they can't bring their oversized vehicle with them. And so what we are asking people to do is to abandon their largest assets in order to enter transitional housing with no guarantee of permanent housing on the back Oh, boy. And so the conversation should not be, are they allowed to be here or are they allowed to be there? What I really... I think moving forward, want to focus on is the conversation about what resource can we develop to offer to actually meaningfully help these people. So these people specifically in oversized vehicles may need a solution for what to do with their vehicle, right? Um, and, And so, like, that is actually becoming a huge barrier to getting all these people, a lot of these folks who have um, some income, either they're working a low-wage job or they're on Social Security or they have some income, and they're, so they're, maybe they're able to afford a vehicle, but they can't pay for rent, right? And that's why they've made that, that choice. It's not really a choice, right, if that's what you can mm-hmm. afford. Um, so, so what I want to see us moving forward ask the question is, okay, clearly what we are doing is not working. Otherwise, this would not be a problem right now. Right. <laughs> Clearly, what yeah. we collectively are offering is is obviously not working. We say, oh, they're service resistant, or oh, they just don't want the help, or whatever. Well, no, what we're offering is asking people to give up something that's very valuable. So, mm-hmm. what can we do differently? And that's the conversation I'm more interested in having moving forward. Is uh, how can we be creative problem solvers? How can we be collaborators? Collaborators with um, the, our unhoused neighbors, with our housed neighbors, with our service providers, we need to move in a, in, a, in a more constructive direction, I think, with this conversation. That's, it's, that's a lot 
and that's and it's not an easy solution and it does it does become political and um we know you know i mean i'm i i recognize that we are having a regional conversation you and i because we live in the same community and the issues that we were having in our local park was certainly something that was very divisive in the community and now the park appears to not have it's not tent city any longer but you don't have to travel very far to see those tents and it's really hard to not think about how grateful you can be to not be in that situation but also what what could you do how how can you help and my experience in the past was that some of these folks that we came to know that were in encampments or homeless locations many of them did not want to come into housing they didn't want to give up their dog they were afraid of the circumstances of the meager belongings that they had that somebody would steal them so there's a lot of moving parts isn't there when you think about this yeah you know i think sometimes when we want to frame it as people don't want to come inside i think then the question needs to be well what are we asking of people to do to come inside what are the right. the requirements that we're putting on people and the other thing is, is about the relationship and the dynamics right so if i if you and i were to become roommates right uh-huh. and we're going to live together in a communal setting it would make sense for me to say to you hey look we're going to be sharing space so let's create some rules so that that way both of us can share this space in a way that maintains our our home in a peaceful way right mm-hmm. we need to have some right. rules that makes sense um and you know when you're going into a shelter or transitional housing or any kind of communal living setting of course rules make sense but if i came at you with well if you want to live here here's this five page document that you're going to have to sign and you're going to be kicked out right away if you don't follow these rules and by the way you're going to have to give up your dog you're going to have to give up your belongings you can only bring in these things you can you are going to be searched you're going to da 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 and i come right. at you with a, a different power dynamic your reaction and remember again this comes back to like these are people who have experienced trauma right it is traumatic to lose the roof over your head so your reaction of course is going to be to throw up your hands and go whoa wait 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 a second what is this (laughs) Mm -hmm. right um and so you know i think it's easy for us to point at people and say well you just don't want to follow the rules like and there have to be rules in this society well when somebody's experiencing the trauma of not having a roof over their head that right. social contract has been broken <laughs> that, 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 that is a broken social contract and they are in straight survival mode right they are mm-hmm. operating they are. in a different place than those of us who have had eight nights of sleep and a hot cup of coffee this morning that is not right. you can't expect the same mode of operation um so so everything comes back to again the value of taking the time to build a relationship because if you know somebody and you trust somebody and you know that they value you as a person 
and with dignity, and you say, let's have a conversation about what the rules need to be so that we can live together peacefully, yeah, that's a reasonable request, right? Yeah, and, and it is. And it's a different way of approaching people. It's a harder way, but I think it, it keeps coming back to, I do, it's not that people don't want help. It's that people have fallen through cracks in the system. Mm-hmm. They feel like promises have been broken. You know, my social worker told me I was on a wait list for getting housing, but I haven't heard anything for three months, right? Like that happened wow. all the time. So, so, so this, this, it's broken promises. It's broken trust. It's being isolated. It's being traumatized. Um, it, there's so many things. And so just taking the time to build relationships with people and then doing that work of that creative problem solving can go a really long way in not just helping people to get into housing, but also in helping to heal, right? Right. Um, and, and I think there's, there's, there's definitely a, a, it's important to remember that maybe you and I are treating these people, treating other people with a certain degree of kindness. Not Mm -hmm. everybody is. There are plenty of people who go out of their way to harass um, and cause harm to unhoused folks. Um, And, you know, that, that, that is also their experience of our community and people within our community. And, you know, we kind of just have to bear that in mind. And a sure. little bit of patience, you know. Yeah. Well, I think what you guys are doing is phenomenal. And I really do believe that this could be so replicated wherever people are living that have the same desires to help. And certainly your background has helped you. You have you have that, that education behind you. But most importantly you just have that desire to help, that desire to, to just make a difference for that one person or that one family or whomever. And I, I will make sure that people understand that you absolutely do take donations. You take in-kind mm-hmm. donations. You can, you can, people can say, you know what, I have been so moved by this conversation with Stephanie today that I would like to make a donation, and and they can do that right on your website. And I mm-hmm. just I want to thank you for taking the time to spend this this time with us in sharing your story because it has so much value. It's it's personally important to me to have shows like this to let people know that there is kindness out there, and you are an example of what that is. I, I just want to thank you so much, Stephanie, for being a guest with me today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure, and I really appreciate the opportunity. to. Well, and, you know, I will see you up at the Y. I will see you somewhere. We we have some mutual connections, and um, I know that um, I think maybe perhaps coming and speaking to my Rotary Club might be something worth considering as well down the road. So you haven't seen you haven't seen the end of me, um, but thank you once again 
for for sharing this time with us and everybody. Go out there and, gosh, if you could just do one random act of kindness today, um, you are um, honoring my guests, and I intend to do the same. So until next time, everybody, be well, take care of yourself and those you love, and I'll look forward to having another Stephanie on my show next week. Only she spells it S-T-E-P-H-E-N-I-E. So go figure. It's a, it's two Stephanies in a row. Oh, my goodness. So be well, everybody, and I look forward to having you join me again next week. Bye for now. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.